Hello, and welcome to State of the State, the monthly roundup of Michigan politics and policy brought to you by the Institute for Public Policy and Social Research at Michigan State University and our good friends here at WKAR Studios. I'm Arnold Weinfeld, Associate Director at the Institute, and I'm joined today by Matt Grossman, Director of the Institute for Public Policy and Social Research, and Dr. Charlie Ballard, a professor in the Department of Economics and Director of our State of the State Survey. We finally have some results from our own State of the State Survey, which was out in the field uh, this fall. And so, Charlie, maybe we can talk a bit about uh, the results of that survey, what's on the minds of uh, Michigan citizens. Um, I know, uh, Matt, we've also done some work with our uh, Political Insider Survey, and maybe we can talk about how uh, they feel about some of these issues as well. But, uh, Charlie, what did we find out? What's on the minds of uh, Michigan citizens in this round? Well, this is the first survey in which we um, asked uh, about approval of Gretchen Whitmer, and she opened at um, 39% favorable. We, we ask, we don't ask approve or disapprove, so we're different from some surveys. We ask, do you rate her performance excellent, good, fair, or poor? And we combine the excellent and good into the favorable category. She opened at 39%. That compares with about 10 percentage points smaller than that in Governor Rick Snyder's last survey. Um, she's nowhere near as high as uh, uh, Jennifer Granholm was back um, early in this century when she opened up in the high 50s. Um, so in a sense, Whitmer is sort of more like Snyder than like Granholm with a lot, a lot of people giving the fair. You know, she, she's not she doesn't have a whole lot of extremes of excellent or poor. But almost half of the people surveyed about Governor Whitmer said she's doing fair. And oh. I, I think it's it's probably important to point out that uh, we did this work a good six to eight months after she had taken office and and clearly failed on her campaign promise to deliver uh, uh, more funding to fix the damn road. So right. And that uh, that matches our results from the insiders as well. Uh, there was only we asked the same question of people who work in and around Michigan politics, and it was a, f a total of forty percent favorable, so almost exactly the same as the public. Uh -huh. uh, and similarly, uh, most people either in the good or fair category. Only four percent thought she was doing excellent. So that includes some people in the uh, administration. So <laughs> yeah, Matt, why, why don't you take a moment to talk about who our uh, the population is that we're surveying in that insider's panel? It includes uh, legislators, legislative staff, uh, ad administrative officials in policymaking roles, and people in the lobbying and state media community. Okay. Um, but uh, it does, it trends a little bit slightly Democratic, but about as much as the, the state public. So it's... Um, so it's really an inside-the-beltway look uh, and feel for what's uh, taking place. Yeah, and usually there's more of a, of a dissonance between <laughs> what the insiders think and what the public thinks, but here I think they're aligned. Yeah. And so what about the top issues that are on the minds of uh, those we surveyed? Well, it's been interesting in the quarter of a century that we've done this survey to, to see the evolution of that. Back in the 90s, uh, education was number one issue. That was the, uh, the top on the minds. The economy was going well. Then when the economy uh, slipped badly in the first decade of this century, it, it was all about um, jobs in the economy and e education uh, slipped. But in the last few years, it's been about fix the damn roads. Um, uh, 
transportation infrastructure is the most frequently cited um, thing that people are uh, think is important for the governor and the legislature. And number two is a, a more general statement about infrastructure, which might include uh, water and sewer and, and other infrastructure. So if you put those together, um, they, they really uh, are by far the, uh, the most prominent things in the minds of, uh, of Michigan residents right now. That's what they want their infrastructure fixed. And our, our insiders are not optimistic. We asked them whether a, <laughs> a, a permanent or a, a more long-term road funding package would be approved before the 2020 election, and only 4% thought it was likely and 23% somewhat likely. So people oh. are pretty pessimistic uh, over at the Capitol. Uh, and, you know, the longer it goes that we have a stalemate where it's just not possible to get through the legislature funding to fix the roads, um, people turn to other possible solutions. You may have seen the article in Crane's Detroit Business by Chad Livengood saying, is it time for tolls? If we can't raise taxes, to, maybe we need to raise uh, revenues in, in other ways. Uh, I, I sort of think uh, I'd like to personally not rely as too heavily on tolls uh, but uh, you know if you, if you can't do it one way you, you start to think what can we do bonding has also been mentioned that was uh, used by governor angler many years ago doesn't need a vote of the legislature or the people and uh, of course uh, conservative economists uh, have uh, panned that as saying you know you're paying now uh, for what uh, you're, you're trying to accomplish uh, into the future, and we'll be paying for that uh, over the course of uh, our children's lives, as they like to say. Our children's lives. Yes. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of these cases where the, the economists and the evidence are, are generally think, hey, a gas tax is a pretty efficient way. Mm -hmm. uh, it targets the users. Um, it doesn't require putting up a whole bunch of tolling infrastructure. And uh, by the way, our you know vehicle mileage uh, is improving, and so we're just raising less from the gas tax from the same miles traveled. But try to explain that to the public, and it almost never works. Um, even even among my students, I, I regularly ask them to just say, you know, how many people want the roads fixed? How many people want uh, the gas tax uh, raised? And you get everybody saying A and nobody saying B. So it is a pretty classic instance of people wanting something for nothing. Well, you know, I, uh, I have this Chevy Malibu that I've been driving for years, and it burns gasoline. But I, I do think a very good chance that my next car will be an electric. And if it's an electric, I'm probably not going to be paying a lot of uh, gasoline taxes. So, um, Matt, I'd like to get into this uh, point a little bit because you've done some work on this about the nationalization of, of uh, various issues. You know, I, I've been around, I, I guess I can say this now, I've been, I've been around quite a while uh, around the state politics and state capital issues, and it used to be that infrastructure, although it was a hard issue, especially the roads, because generally speaking, you're correct, you're, you're going to raise the gas tax, which is a natural user fee. Um, but you'd get it done. It, at the end of the day, it, it would get done. And now um, Michigan and other states have struggled uh, to move forward on this. Other states, uh, including some of our surrounding neighboring states, had did move through some uh, gas tax increases and in funding for uh, for roads this year. But is, is this one of those issues in terms of road funding and infrastructure that we can uh, – talk about as being nationalized uh, in, in the, the national political uh, arena? 
Well, at, at the national and state level, it's uh, an issue where the, the parties claim to be in an agreement that we need more infrastructure uh, funding. Um, both Trump and Clinton ran ads about how they were in favor of large uh, infrastructure uh, packages. Um, but of course, the other side of the, that coin is taxes, and taxes are a long-running nationalized issue and one that um, continues to nationalize further and that continues to get more polarized. Um, and it, it has been um, an issue where Republicans are able to coalesce behind saying no, um, both at the state and, and national level. That doesn't mean I would sort of give up on it. As you say, other um, Republican states have raised the gas tax. Um, Snyder rose the gas, raised the gas tax in a kind of a hidden way on producers. Um, it, it, I don't think it was inevitable that they would reach no agreement. Um, I think uh, both the insiders and the public may be placing some of the blame on Whitmer as well and how she uh, pursued it. So I don't know that um, it, it was destined to not find any support on the Republican side, but uh, it certainly is an issue that divides the parties. So and and you you mentioned in in informally polling students on on the issue you know they want better roads but they too don't seem to be willing to raise taxes Is, does that become a teachable moment on how how we get things done or uh, you know how to point them in a particular direction in terms of how to provide public services and that it in terms of the funding I, I don't there know that lots it, of teachable moments. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I, I don't know that it changes opinions, but they do recognize that it's an inconsistency in their in their view that they they want something funded but but don't want to don't want to pay for it. Um, but the gas tax is just a very visible tax um, that people see the the price um, everywhere, and mm -hmm. it's always you know been more controversial for for that reason. Um, so you know they they say the same things. They say, oh well, why not toll roads and. So if, if that is the only way, um, then, then you know, maybe that's the way that you get, get people to pay for something in, in a pretty equally visible way, but at least one, a way that connects the driving to the payment. It, when I, and I teach courses about economics of taxation, and, and I, I think that there's a, uh, there are two things. One is kind of a general uh, dislike of taxes, but the other is, yeah, we should raise taxes. Tax that other guy. Just don't tax, don't tax me. And uh, you, you see that uh, uh, a lot. Um, you know, we've had these discussions about a sales tax on services. I remember a conversation with a, a, a local lobbyist who represents the Bar Association, and I was advocating for extending the sales tax to services and entertainments. This person said, oh, you're absolutely right. Yes, we should do it on, on all of these services, just not on the attorneys. So, um, Charlie, you noted that in prior years, uh, job, economy, education had been uh, some of the top issues on the minds of uh, those we survey. Where did that fall th this time around with roads? Uh, uh, th that was in the next tier. It was. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's much more um, diff diffuse now than it was back back in the '90s. Education would be the top thing for forty percent. Of our respondents, and then uh, a decade ago, uh, jobs in the economy would be the top issue for almost everybody. Now it's we had 17% on roads, 11% on other infrastructure, 10% uh, on uh, on jobs in the economy, and then just a whole bunch of things where 3% or 5% of people say it's most important, whether it's the environment or. Um, 
so some people refer to um, abortion and other issues like that. It's just a very wide range of things that are uh, on people's minds. And that matches the national trends in the in the Gallup Most Important Problem series, um, that there's been a diversification over time in what people say, and there's less of an overtime association. In other words, it used to be that at, with an economic cycle, you know, everybody would either move to mentioning the economy or move away from it based on events, and that isn't happening anymore. Of course, we've had now 10 and a half years of uh, s- slow but more or less steady economic growth, and so it's not surprising that the economy is not on people's minds. Although, um, I'll take this pulpit to say what I say is whenever I get the chance, uh, this last year has been slow in the Michigan economy, and not just slow here, but slow throughout the upper Midwest. Um, from January to November, we don't have the December numbers yet for the states, um, while the U.S. economy was growing at a couple hundred thousand jobs a month, um, Michigan barely grew, just a couple of thousand. And if you take Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, and Wisconsin altogether, net job losses in the in that region. So uh, there is something of a disconnect. I think it may have to do with the slowdown and further slowdown in manufacturing. But, um, you know, if that trend were to continue for long enough, I think people would notice and you would start to get more uh, concern about jobs in the economy. But right now, um, I think we also saw in this round, people are feeling pretty good about their economic situation. They are, because the economy may be kind of flat, but it's flat at a pretty good place. And so we ask uh, people about their current finances, and um, 62% say excellent or good. Uh, That's not the highest. The highest ratings we ever had for almost all of these economic indicators were back in the late 90s, when the economy was indeed booming. but far better than what we had in really the whole stretch from 2006 to 2011 or so. Mm-hmm. So um, people are feeling generally pretty good and pretty upbeat about the future. A strong majority think that they're going to be better off a year from now than they are now. So, um, yeah, it's a, uh, pe- people remain fairly optimistic. Um, and as long as the economy... I think if it continues kind of flat, that probably won't put much of a dent in it, but it might. If we if we ever get into a recession, which we probably will someday, uh, that's going to have an effect on those numbers. And that usually bodes well for the incumbent president, doesn't it? Uh, it does. Um, and yet uh, Donald Trump's numbers uh, are not that great. Uh, his uh, his uh, favorable, excellent or good, ticked down a little bit to about 31%. He's been in the high 20s, low 30s, um, by the way that we do this, that either the excellent or good uh, during his entire time. And in this survey, almost exactly half gave him a rating of poor. He, his ratings are much more polarized than those of uh, either uh, Gretchen Whitmer or Rick Snyder before her. He gets uh, uh, way more excellence but way more poor, whereas Whitmer and Snyder tend to get a lot of fair. 
And as you might expect, the, the political insiders are just negative on Trump overall. It's not so much polarized as negative. There's only 19% total with a favorable opinion, including only 4% excellent. So that's the same as, as Whitmer. So they might be hard uh, graders. Um, but it's actually 64% that give him a poor rating in our elite sample. And even among uh, Republican elites, he does not have good uh, ratings among Michigan insiders. Uh, that that is leading them uh, to expect Democratic victory. Seventy five percent of our uh, insider panel says that uh, the Democrats are likely to win Michigan in the 2020 uh, election. So before the Democrats get too excited, I'll point out that this same clairvoyant group of insiders uh, <laughs> predicted a Clinton victory uh, at 90 percent. I, I do predict one thing will be different uh, uh, for the for the Democrats. I think they will actually have a campaign in Michigan for yeah. the 2020 uh, presidential election. Before Democratic, the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we'll see a, a Democratic uh, presidential candidate and or vice president campaigning in the state numerous times. We, I'm, I'm sure. we, I expect we'll see that. Including, we did not see that in 2016, and mm, we believe that had an effect. Yeah, indeed. And, and I'm sure the president and vice president will be here as well. President Trump's uh, ratings, as you might expect, there are big divides by race, by gender, by political party. Uh, women, um, women, for instance, are uh, twice as likely to give uh, a, a favorable rating to Gretchen Whitmer as they are to give a favorable rating to, to Donald Trump. Um, only 3% of African Americans gave uh, gave uh, uh, high marks to to President Trump. So big, bi big divides that we've seen going on for a long time in American politics, and of course a big partisan divide as well. Well, I'm sure African Americans will be reminded of uh, candidate Trump's uh, famous quote about what do you have to lose uh, over the course of the next uh, year or so. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how that works out with an economy that is doing okay, as you said, not as strong. Not gangbusters. Not gangbusters, but, but doing okay. People feel pretty good about their financial situation and where they might be in the next year. Um, and that, uh, that usually bodes well for, uh, for the incumbents. Now, along with the numbers on uh, President Trump and, and Governor Whitmer, uh, we again surveyed people on how they feel about government generally. Yeah, we've been asking uh, throughout the entire time of our survey, asking about trust in government. And we ask uh, about different levels, uh, local, state, and federal, um, about uh, nearly all or most of the time, can you trust them? Some of the time, seldom, or almost never. Um, and it's been true throughout the survey that the one that gets the highest rating is um, the most favorable is the local government. And I think that makes sense. The local government, hey, that's the city council, that's the school board, that's my next-door neighbor, I know these people. The state government is in faraway Lansing, and then the federal government is in even more faraway Washington, D.C., and that's usually the ranking, uh, local first, then state, um, then federal, uh, and that's what, what held this time. More than 40% say they can trust uh, the, the uh, local government um, most of the time. Um, only 14% for the federal government and uh, a little bit more than that for state. One big, it, most of these are uh, these trends fairly constant, uh, you know, with local number one, state number two, federal number three. Two other things in the history of the survey that are interesting. One is in the immediate aftermath of the 9-11 terrorist attacks, all levels of government, including federal, 
had a, a big sp spike. People people thought, hey, uh, President Bush has has responded strongly to this national tragedy. Um, then they they separated again. But a big trend is it used to be that when asked about state government, people said they were, they were more likely to say that they could trust it than usually wouldn't tr trust it. That's flipped. Now, uh, a lot more people say seldom or almost never could they trust state government. That, that flip happened about 12 years ago. Um, it, perhaps it was in the aftermath of some of the budget crises and, and state government shutdowns that we had when Jennifer Granholm was governor and, and she faced a Republican legislature. Um, it's not a focus group, so we don't have all the reasoning that people go in. But trust in state government is, is definitely less than it was um, 15, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, Matt, you, you, you noted that uh, our group of political insiders uh, overwhelmingly believe that uh, Democrats will do well here in Michigan in, in the upcoming election. But at the state level, uh, what are your thoughts about uh, how the Republicans have been able either to uh, maintain their own agenda here in the state legislature? You know, this past year we had insurance reform that many would argue was uh, more uh, a Republican um, policy than anything else. Um, they've been able to forestall any kind of tax increases, especially on, on the gas tax. Do you think that uh, they'll be able to go home in a term-limited era uh, where we have, I think, about 20 or 22 uh, term-limited House members and be able to maintain their majority moving forward uh, based on the policy that they've been able to implement or thwart? Well, uh, we talked about nationalization, and there is research that even in voting for state legislature, it matters more your opinion of the president than anything about what is happening in, in state government. That doesn't mean you can't be affected if there's a, a big uh, visible thing like in Wisconsin or Kansas where uh, people sort of get fed up with current policy. But I don't know that, that we've seen enough um, happen uh, to produce a backlash of, of that sort. Our political insiders were also asked to predict um, how many seats the, the Republicans would um, have in the Michigan House, and the average was right at in an even split. Um, so they're predicting a, a pretty close uh, battle for control of mm -hmm. the, the Michigan House um, this year. You uh, know, if we, we were to get an even split, uh, it's not at all clear that that would be bad because back in the early 90s, there was one session where Curtis Hertel, uh, the Democrat, and uh, Paul Hilligans, the governor, uh, not the, governor, the, the, the Republican, um, um, had to share the speaker's uh, mm -hmm. job. And I know uh, some of the people who were, who were there at the time, and to a, to a person, they say that because they had a 55-55 tie, they had to talk to each other, and they treated each other pretty well and got some things done. Well, so we would get a test of whether that uh, <laughs> was an institutional um, matter or, or if culture has changed. Yeah, uh, I, you know, and and was, as one of those who was there at the time as a staff member, I can tell you that a lot of that success was based on those two gentlemen's personalities. And it wasn't necessarily institutionalized. It no, was, no, there were, you know, people... Uh, it's always interesting how we, we always look back and 
and many of us look back at that fondly, right? I mean, it's uh, an era of some cooperation for sure, where Democrats and Republicans shared the chair uh, on a month-to-month basis. Um, you know, we did get some things done, you could say, um, but it was based largely on those two uh, personalities of, uh, of Curtis Sertel and Paul Hilligans and uh, their ability to realize the moment in front of them and understand uh, the importance of that moment and, and being able to move ahead. And rise above petty partisanship. Well, and you know, and, and that was an error uh, pre-term limits um, when legislators uh, had really come from the bottom up mm-hmm. and had been around a while to forge relationships and uh, understand each other a bit better than and then probably uh, today under, under under term limits. So if that happens, um, you know we'll have two new leaders right. because both Democratic leader Greg and the Speaker um, Chatfield. Chatfield are term limited. Yes. So you know Curtis and Paul, they ha- they, they were already there. They, they were already there. They yes. knew each other. Um, they knew they were going to be leaders of their caucus. And, and those discussions, I'm sure, are going on uh, right now, and, and some insiders would tell you it's pretty clear who's going to be the next Democratic leader, who's going to be the next speaker, but they haven't held those powerful positions yet. Right. So. And when uh, they, the parties do come together, they do have the ability to sell their solution, the auto insurance reform, um, which was controversial at the time and, and still is um, among some people. It actually had fairly broad approval in our insider survey um, and has also uh, generated some, some public approval in other surveys. So when the parties get behind something and pass it, um, if they did make a deal on roads, for example, um, you know, there, there's reason to believe that they could sell it to the public together. Now, Matt, we just had a uh, forum on the redistricting proposal and how it's moving ahead. And uh, one of our own at MSU uh, put forth the notion that uh, if indeed a fair map is drawn, it would still probably lean Republican. Can you talk about that for a minute? Right. John Aguia in uh, Charlie's department has been doing some work on um, on redistricting and trying to take into consideration the fact that the map drawers will have to take uh, local boundaries into consideration and that Democrats are uh, largely and increasingly concentrated in urban areas in, in Michigan. And so what that means is that it's just much harder to draw a pro-democratic uh, gerrymander than it is to draw a pro-republican gerrymander. Now he pointed out that the current maps are still uh, gerrymandered. That is, they provide uh, more uh, Republican advantage than you would just by uh, drawing relatively straight lines. Um, but uh, that the commission we should expect uh, to still draw a map that that slightly favors uh, Republicans. He also said that the congressional district districts are more uh, are more unnaturally uh, gerrymandered than are the uh, legislative districts. So uh, the idea that this commission is going to make it possible for Democrats to win control of the legislature when they win half more than half of the votes statewide, I think he uh, rightly showed is is unlikely um, that uh, because of the geographic placement of people, the Democrats are not going to have to win the state by eight points, but uh, they're still going to have to win more than 50 percent. Yes. In order to control the legislature. The system that we have in the U.S. where we have geographical districts and it's first past the post, the the person with the most votes wins. 
that is a system that favors any party whose uh, people are geographically dispersed. And in our country, that's the Republicans. Um, in many of the countries in Europe, their parliaments are on a proportional basis. So, you know, if your party gets 53% of the seats, uh, of the votes, you get 53% of the seats. So that would that would be a different, uh, that's a very different outcome. Uh, we have had many times here in Michigan, Democrats get most of the votes, but Republicans maintain control of the, cha of the chamber. That couldn't happen under a proportional voting scheme. Uh, but I don't hear a whole lot of groundswell of pushing for proportional voting here right. in, in and, it, and there is a, a glo almost near global pattern of uh, urban rural um, increasing division uh, with the more conservative parties taking the, the rural uh, areas. And even if you just ignore the, the U.S.-Canada boundary and look across to Ontario, you see the very same map of, um, uh, of, of liberal conservative voting. So these are, you know, part of a transition to, to more social and cultural issues um, uh, coming to the fore in politics, and I don't think it's something we should expect to change anytime soon. Thank you, and, and thank you both for being here. Uh, in February, we will have had the State of the State speech and the budget release. I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about uh, then as well. Thank you again. Thank you for joining us here on this edition of the State of the State, and thank you again to our friends here at WKAR. This is Arnold Weinfeld.